1: At LuckyLandslots.com
2: Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions. Supply. Hello and welcome to Series 3, Episode 9 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us as always. We're in a mixed mood as United take a point from Anfield. A decent result, but somewhat disappointing after our, our electric start to the season. As always, we've got our unparalleled youth and loan roundup as Angel Gomez scores for England's under-17s at the World Cup and the under-18s battle wolves on Saturday morning with a hat-trick from Mason Greenwood. Jack, United, poor to watch, but get a point. It's all about expectations, attitude and and the big picture, I guess. Um, Let's talk about all of that. Do you think we came for a draw? I do, yeah,
0: 100%. The thing is, I, if, you, if you'd have offered me... If you offer me, before every single season, a point at Anfield, you'd probably take it, right? I, I, I think as a, a lot of people have kind of been talking about this in the last couple of... or since yesterday, but in, in Alex Ferguson's last, I think, five games at Anfield, there were four defeats and one win. So it's not like... Anfield is never an easy place to go as Man, as Manchester United because Liverpool are always up for the game. They're always going to play you hard, always going to be a tough game. So if you offer me a point at Anfield before every single season, I will take it 100% with no no hesitation, really. The, the problem I think that people have had is the way that we played, and we'll get into this more. But I think we did we did come from the from the draw, and to be honest with you, from what I expect that was Mourinho's plan. He probably came out the game feeling pretty happy about it, whether whether we were or not.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it seems strange to say this. We've been spoilt by Louis Van Gaal and his his double, two victories at Anfield and two at Old Trafford against Liverpool in his first four games against Liverpool. We've been spoiled by him and he was back at Anfield, got a good reception from the from the travelling support, which is nice to see. But yeah, did we come for a draw? I think I think we didn't come for a draw, but Mourinho, yeah, he, he comes out of that very, very pleased. I guess I think when I when I watch Mourinho in a big game so he plays not to concede rather than plays to draw. So the focus is entirely on not conceding. And if, if our key players, if our best attacking players can then grab a yeah, goal, yeah. the focus is still on not conceding. But it breaks down when the key players don't take chances or or don't perform like Lukaku and Mkhitaryan did, and it's inevitable that that will sometimes happen, and it sometimes leads to to a boring nil nil draw. So it's frustrating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, don't don't get me wrong; it's not fun to watch us play like that. I don't like seeing us play that defensively, and especially against Liverpool, because you want to you're against Liverpool. You know, you want to put in a great performance, but ultimately, and it, it was quite funny, honestly, seeing um a lot of other fans kind of. Having a go at United, like calling, like saying that, you know, have small club mentality and all that stuff. And most of it was actually coming from Arsenal fans. And that Arsenal are a prime example of what happens if you go to Liverpool and you try and play normally. You get absolutely spanked. Arsenal went there and got beat 4-0. And if we'd have gone there, played attacking football and got beaten 4-5-0, or the criticism of Mourinho would be even more than it is now. So in some ways, it's almost like you can't win. Um, and if, if we'd have ended up winning that game 1 0, I don't think anyone would, would be criticising Mourinho for the way that we played. So I think you're right. He does go out to not concede. And in the big game, sometimes you need to do that. The, the problem I think that we a lot of us have is that even on the counter, you know, we spoke about this with Brad in the last episode. What we expected from the game was us to set up pretty similarly to how we did last year at Anfield. And that's what we did. But we expected us to change from last year and be more aggressive and more more expansive, a little bit more expansive on the counter-attack. And I think that was the aspect that was the most disappointing.
2: Yeah, it's the the first glimpse of how the new Mourinho side plays against big teams. It's not different to what the old Mourinho side was, the one from last season. I guess the biggest frustration is that if we're going to get three points away at any big club, any of the top six, you think Anfield and the Emirates are the two where you're going in and you're thinking we can beat these teams even, even though they're at home. You go to the Etihad and you think, Oh Christ. You go to Stanford Bridge and you're you're not confident ever at Stanford Bridge. And Spurs are a good team. Um but I we we could beat Spurs as well. But you go to Anfield, you think Liverpool are there for the taking, particularly in, in their run of form. But they're very weak defensively. I think we've got a better attack than them as well, and we've certainly got a better defence. So we should be scoring and then outscoring them and with a better defence. And that's what makes it so frustrating. You can understand this against a superior opposition, City are one of them. Or even an opposition where you know that they could beat you because they're a well-balanced team like Chelsea or Spurs. But Arsenal and Liverpool, they're the two teams you're looking at and thinking, we need to beat some of the top six because that's the only way we're going to win the league because all of the top six are beating the the lower sides. I mean, this weekend, a bit of an anomaly with Chelsea losing to Palace and Arsenal losing to Watford. But we have to win some of our games against the top six. And if we're going to win one away from home... I would have thought it would be Anfield or the
0: Emirates. I 100% agree, yeah. You can't really see any team going to the Etihad or any big team, especially us with our record at Stamford Bridge, going there and, and getting three points. So you do have to kind of take advantage of Anfield and the Emirates because, as you said, you can't, you can't win the title playing, not winning against any of the top six. We've seen that... Again, to go back to Arsenal, you've seen that from Arsenal over the years. How many times they completely destroy most of the small teams, but then end up not not winning end against any of the up the other top six, and it costs them the title in the end. So you do have to try and get a few wins here and there. But as I said, our, our record at Anfield is is never very is never has never been great. Even in the Ferguson era, it's never been great. So I think a point at Anfield isn't the end of the world, although. I guess in the current state of it, if you if you took I mean, like as we did last episode with the combined elevens, if you took those teams player by player, we're we're clearly the better side. So I think I and mean, that's kind of what is driving a lot of this frustration because I think we are a better team than Liverpool. We just didn't show it at the weekend.
2: Good piece from Miguel Delaney in the independent saying Mourinho's actions and his and his words after the game basically showed his his footballing philosophy of of not being proactive and waiting for waiting for the opposition to make an error and then capitalising on that. And I suppose that's the difference between this United side and our main rivals for the title and generally our main rival city is that we don't really look to impose ourselves on the game. We wait for the opposition to sort of expose their own weaknesses and then we capitalise on that. Um, And we've, we've done that against the small teams to an extent. We've got their first early goal. That's obviously us sort of imposing ourselves on the game but once that happens we wait for them to tire and then it's it's pretty ruthless from there but Liverpool are there for the taking it's a poor Liverpool side with injuries with Sadio Mane out there their best player and yet we didn't take the opportunity to beat them that's not really what this Mourinho side does
0: yeah it's not it's not the kind of team that's going to take uh, the other top six teams apart like you can imagine Pepsi doing or even this Liverpool team to be fair doing sometimes as well. It's not that kind of, or I mean, it, it could be, but that's not the way that Mourinho approaches games like this. I, I, I mean, whether we like it or not, we might, we kind of just have to accept it for what it is at the moment. I expect that Old Trafford, maybe you'd see us play, I would hope anyway, you'd see us play a little bit more uh attacking and a little bit more expansively and not kind of sit back the way that we did against Liverpool. But yeah, we aren't that kind of team. And also I think, we we also have to maybe reserve some judgment about the way we're going to play in big games a little a little bit until we get Paul Pogba back because i think he was a big miss at the weekend we had
2: yeah.
0: almost no control in midfield whenever we got the ball you know Ander herrera had probably one of the worst games i've seen from a united midfielder it was truly tragic at times uh, every time he got the ball it was just a first time kind of hit and hope up the field um and so that wasn't helping. I think when we if when we get Pogba back, him playing in big games will make a big big difference. So I think maybe we have to rever- reserve some judgment on that. It's until one we we have Pogba back, and two when maybe when, when we play a big team at home because I think that will be more kind of will give us a better idea of how Mourinho wants us to set up in these big games. But yeah, it's the early signs are not that we're going to go out and be this attacking, free-flowing team like you probably imagine City or or, or Liverpool being against the, the other top sides. We're not that kind of team. Um, and and we know that. That's, that's Mourinho's game. He's done that throughout his career. So I think as much as it annoys us that we play at like that because you know that isn't the United way or, or whatever you want to call it, I, th- I think we ultimately have to accept it and trust in Mourinho in some ways because he's been doing this for a long time and he's been very, very successful at it. That, like, you look at his Ch- um, title-winning campaigns with Chelsea... And the big game record is we don't concede if we can nick a goal or two then great. Yeah,
2: and was, uh, Thierry Henry is a is a, is he a united sympathizer, you'd say, um, on Sky. And he was saying, Well, had Lukaku been in the right frame of mind for that that brilliant chance, I mean that chance was wonderful to watch, the the interplay between Lukaku, Martial yeah. and and Mkhitaryan. But it was the only one. And had Lukaku been in the right frame of mind there and and taken that chance, then you'd be coming away thinking Mourinho masterclass.
0: Exactly. This is the thing. It's just it's just one of those moments. And it, it, this is what annoys me about a lot of the people kind of complaining about and or even being happy about the game. It's like one small thing like that, one chance taken, and everyone's opinions completely changed. It's Mourinho masterclass. We're going to win the league, whatever. And now everyone's down in the dumps. I think we, like one game, you can't you can't read everything just for yeah, one game. Absolutely,
2: but. The the focus on on big game performances is, is right to focus on that because, maybe six years ago, seven years ago, you didn't need to win the big games because the the top mo- most of the titles that that Ferguson won were competing against one other big team or two others um, in a in a properly good season. So we had the period against Wenger and Arsenal, we had the period against Chelsea and Mourinho, and then Ancelotti and Avram Grant, even, and we had the the period against Liverpool's Benitez. And then against Mancini's City, but you could beat the rest of the top six because it wasn't a top six. it was a top three or a top four, and quite often a top two. You could beat the the other big teams. But now, because the top six is so big and so strong, and they're beating all the lower opposition, yeah, we do need to win these big games because you see City absolutely battering Stoke, seven two. Chelsea had a blip, Arsenal had a blip. they're gonna have a couple. We can have a couple, so a city. um but generally. The big team side against the small teams are their their records are, are pretty brilliant, um, and the gap is back to being quite big. So it's it's not just we can't just be drawing the big games. And yeah, I think you're right that we have to wait for a performance at Old Trafford because an away game very different. And we have to wait for a performance in which our best player Paul Pogba is picture of points. It's also it's they are in the title race and in the top four race. They're they're worth six points because if you're getting three, you're hardly a direct rival. It's it's not a positive performance, is it? And it's not a positive feeling, but it's one that you can move on from fairly quickly.
0: I think ultimately, what in some ways, what we have to take out of this game is that we didn't... That's the thing. it's not a positive performance by any means. There are very few positives that you, that you can take out of that game. Let, let's be honest here. It wasn't a good performance. I mean, may, maybe in Mourinho's mind it is, but to the rest of us watching, it wasn't a positive performance. But what it didn't do is it didn't damage us going forward. You look at, I mentioned, I brought up Arsenal. Well, you look at the, what happened when Arsenal went to Liverpool and they got rolled, rolled, rolled over 4-0. That kind of defeat damages you and it damages you for p- periods after the game as well, mentally, and, and it, kind of, it kind of can mess up the next few weeks. And so it wasn't a positive performance, but it also wasn't that negative of, of a performance as well.
2: Yeah. Jürgen Klopp, he does talk some some rubbish. Yeah. Um... <laughs>
0: I might use a stronger word if I wasn't on the podcast, but yeah.
2: Yeah, if I didn't have to click explicit or not explicit on ACAST after we do this, I'm yeah, I may well use a stronger word. I mean United had one big chance and Liverpool had one big chance. And yeah, he comes out, him and his and his team come out talking like they're the they're the saviours of football. And it's he's a Liverpool manager who's yet to win a trophy at the club and has what is it, one win in their last eight games? And yet he comes out having hosted Man United, who have sat back all game and, and not really put in their best performance. And yeah, we defended okay, but we're without our strongest defender and our strongest player. They're without their strongest attacker, fair enough. And yet Klopp comes out after the game pretending he is the Mr. High and Mighty of football. And it's just... I quite liked him at Dortmund, but and I quite liked him when he started at Liverpool for about three months. And suddenly he is transformed into this immensely dislikable figure. Yeah,
0: honestly, I I really liked him when he was at. I actually wanted him to be the United manager when uh, when Ferguson retired. And, and don't get me wrong, I still think Jürgen Klopp is a is a brilliant manager. But yeah, he blimey, he does talk some absolute rubbish. And this is <laughs> I, there was a great article actually. or I of an article that I read from uh, Neil Custis, and he and he said, you know. Klopp comes out afterwards and, and says all this, I think, I think he said, you know, maybe this kind of performance is acceptable in, in Manchester, but not in Liverpool, some, something along those lines. Oh, and the thing is, Jürgen Klopp had plenty of opportunities in that game to change things. There were so, some very obvious substitutions that he could have gone. He, could have brought, and he, he did bring Sturridge on, but instead of doing it like for like, as a swap with one of the front three, he could have brought off Chan or Wijnaldum or Henderson and gone two in midfield and gone with a front front four. If he was that determined to go out and win that game, he would have done that. But no, he made three substitutions and all of them were completely light for light. He never switched up the formation. He never got rid of that three-man midfield. Even when he knew that we only had two men in there and we were already struggling because Mkhitaryan was kind of all over the place and we were already struggling to contain them. And so if he wants to come out and say, all this stuff, yeah, that's great. We did play more defensively than, than Liverpool. But he needs to stop kidding himself that he came out and played the most expensive game you've ever seen. Liverpool were also concerned with not losing that game. Like, ultimately this game was more for both for for Liverpool more so than us Liverpool, Liverpool could not afford to lose this game because then there would be what nine points behind behind us and I think 10 well oh no more than that 11 points behind City I think like Liverpool cannot afford to go that far behind so Jurgen Klopp coming out saying all this after the game it sounds great it's a great soundbite on TV as it always is from Jurgen Klopp but it has very little substance to it
2: yeah and at some point Liverpool fans will realise that all his nice words he has um He has not got a great record as Liverpool manager. Um, And yeah, he complains about United and Mourinho not attacking and not going for it. But just look at the substitutions. Um, Mourinho brings on fresh attacking legs in Rashford and Lingard. Lingard, a player who can really, really change a game in in an attacking sense, especially when it's it's quite tight. Um, And Klopp just stays as it is despite it being 0-0 despite them failing to make chances and and despite them not needing that defensive cover if they were going to risk it but he didn't so yeah I think our feelings on Jurgen Klopp are clear Um, talk about a couple of of specific players Um, starting off with Romelu Lukaku missed a great chance was fairly anonymous Um, Mm -hmm. not a great performance but not an easy one for a lone striker what I did like And I think this frustrated quite a lot of people. What I did like is that he wasn't dropping deep like Zlatan Ibrahimovic does when he doesn't get the ball. He was playing as a proper striker, a proper number nine, um, staying as a striker and being disciplined because if the chance did come, then he'd be in the right position. And he was at one point and and missed it.
0: Yeah, listen, I think... Romelu Lukaku did not have a good performance. Like, let's just get that clear from, from, from the start. He did not play well. It was his worst performance in, in a United shirt by a by distance. But as a striker, you are, to some degree at the very least, dependent on the people around you and the kind of service you're getting. And let's be honest with him. The, the one time he did get good service, he he missed a the chance. Like, there, there's no getting around that. So even, even from that standpoint, he, he didn't play well. But he, he never... A, he never stopped. He never stopped running. He was always a willing runner for us. And B, I agree with you that I'm glad he didn't come deep either. Because as it, when Ibrahimovic did that, yeah, it was good and maybe it helped with the link-up play a little bit. But he just congested the game even more. And we have no one running in behind. And because of the way that we set up in these big games with the wingers told not to try, not to go too far forward to track back all the time, the wingers aren't able to then go and make the runs in beyond him. And so I think the the fact that Lukaku actually stayed stayed up there, he didn't drop to deep too much would have helped us if we could get some decent service into him. This is, again, why I think we miss Paul Pogba so much because, you know, Matic kind of did his job. Matic didn't play too badly yesterday. He did his job. He sat in front of the back four, protected them pretty well, especially in the first half. And then Herrera, who you'd say is the replacement for Pogba in this in this sense, just had no service to Lukaku. As I said, it was every time he got the ball, he played this kind of shovel pass first yeah. time that just most of the time went out of play or straight back, straight through to Mignolet. And so it was very tough for Lukaku. But ha- having said that, he he did need to do a little bit more. The few times when he does come to him, he has to make that ball stick. Because there were times, especially in the second half, where it just bounced straight off him. And that is, I think, where he needs to improve. Because he has to make that ball stick and bring the other players into play. And it also gives the defensive breather. It allows the whole team to step up. And so it's not a case of dropping deep. It's just a case of improving his hold-up play. He's, he's he's big enough and strong enough that he can hold defenders off. It's just a case of refining the little touches here and there. Yeah,
2: not good enough, but w- one little positive. Um, and just on Ander Herrera, I didn't really mention him earlier when you did. His contract's out fairly soon. He'll probably get a one-year extension. But after that, for for as much as I love him and as, and as much as he understands the club in the in the way that Raphael and, and Patrice Evra did, he's not impressing with his performances this season. And maybe it's because of the system and, and he doesn't quite fit. But... As a replacement for Paul Pogba, not adequate. And it's. Well, and you,
0: you can see just from his place in the pecking order now, he was, alongside Pogba, he was first to his midfield partnership now. Uh, now he's behind both Matic and Fellaini has overtaken him as yeah, well.
2: Um, yeah, a big difference. And it's it's just the, the lack of discipline and the lack of genuine world class quality to, to deliver that service to a lone strike in a big game, but particularly the lack of discipline. He, he does love a one-man press that leaves Nemanja Matic hopelessly exposed, but Matic is good enough to, to recover. But on a positive note, David De Gea, <laughs> what a player. No goalkeeper has made more saves from big chances in the Premier League this season than David De Gea with five. David De Gea's record in the Premier League this season, eight matches, seven clean sheets, 22 shots faced, and 20 shots saved. Um, Ridiculous stuff. And... I've always thought of i've I've always had a hesitancy in calling De Gea the best goalkeeper in the world. I've always thought Manuel Neuer, but because I don't watch that much of Bayern Munich anymore, I've just let that fly right out the window. De Gea, best goalkeeper in the world, I've gone for it. (laughs) No, it it was an amazing save for a
0: massive, absolutely incredible. The the reactions on that. To get down there and, and, <laughs> and get that left foot to the ball was absolutely crazy. And it's not the first time he's done it this season either. The, the, there was an amazing save against Stoke as well that stopped us from losing that game. And yeah, I mean, it's quite incredible, really, when you think about it. I think we have to appreciate where De Gea was coming from as well. When he first came to the Premier League, he looked absolutely terrible. Like, let, like let, I mean, cast our minds back, what was it, 2012, I think, when he came?
2: 2011 he came. 2012 was his really rough period, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, when any high ball, he looked so uncomfortable. He went also went through a period where every single shot that came to me, pushed straight back into the striker's feet. And now, at, I think 100% the best goalkeeper in the league. I personally would still put Neuer slightly above him, but definitely the best goalkeeper in the league. And I'm just so grateful to have him. Um, and at 20, was he 26, 27, I think, at the moment, I think it's 26.
2: 26, yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, still got ten years at this level if we were going on how goalkeepers normally kind of progress. So, it, it, just an absolutely brilliant save and a brilliant goalkeeper. Just so thankful to have someone like that
2: in the net. I mean, I'm just watching the gif of it now. Absolutely astounding the balance and the 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 time and the decision making because he's he's not really he's not actually on his feet properly to be able to bounce up when he sees it the shot. And then suddenly he just manages to stick a leg out. I don't know how he's got that balance, but the decision-making, the instinct saves are just incomparable in world football. I mean, to be fair to Neuer, I remember his save at the Emirates against against Arsenal. I remember sort of sitting there and thinking, oh my word. I mean, goals are great and better than saves, but some saves you sit there and just think, I think most goals... Almost every goal you can sort of explain. You can say, yeah, I can see how he's done that. Brilliant goal. Brilliant player. I can see how he's done that. Some saves, you just sit there and go, no. No explanation yeah. whatsoever. And De Gea is I one mean, of the, them.
0: The thing, the thing with the De gea Neuer comparison, I think in some ways it's harder for Noya to show off how good he is because he doesn't face anywhere near as many shots as De Gea does. Because yeah. Bayern are so good and so dominant that he probably faces as many shots as De Gea does in three weeks in a whole season.
2: Yeah, but no. De Gea, brilliant and appears to be happy at the club, which is very nice. And yeah, can't really say much else apart. Yeah, and
0: There's a lot of, a lot of articles, as you can imagine, on Sky Sports and everything about De Gea after the game. And I think it's, it, one thing that I saw as very true was, you know, signing Lukaku, signing Matic, great signings in the summer. But keeping hold of um, David De Gea was probably our most important piece of business this summer and last summer as well. Keeping him at the club with a new contract, it's, that's the biggest thing.
2: Yeah, and I always I always refer to Paul Pogba as our best player, but realistically, De Gea is, in terms of stature on in world football and and comparisons to his, in comparison to the other players in his position, De Gea is our, our best player quite easily. Yeah. Quickly before we move on, um, question from Brad, who was our our guest last week at forty yard pass, a Liverpool fan. What did he make of Mkhitaryan in Mourinho's more defensive tactic? Uh, in in one word, rubbish.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they not really too much more to add. And to be honest with you, like a lot of people have been there's been a lot of talk about um about Mikatarin all season. And you can really tell who watches United games and who doesn't based on their judgment on Mikatarin because on the highlight reels he looks great and his stats look great, but his general performances the whole season have not been very good, have they? Like let's let's kind of take a step back from the stats and just actually watch the game for a second. He really yeah. has been poor for a lot of the game. And this was probably his worst performance. It actually reminded me a lot of um, the Manchester derby last season at Old Trafford that kind of started the whole Mikatarian being sidelined. And we got, I think, was he pulled off at half time Or even maybe it was before halftime? I can't remember. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a, an awful performance. It reminded me a lot of that City game. And the, the problem with Mikatarian is he, he drifts in and out of the game too much. And I think if he's playing out uh, uh, out wide, he can kind of get away with it a little bit more. And that's where he played at Dortmund in his best two seasons there. But when he plays in the centre, you need him. He is the kind of the focal point of the transition from defence from midfield to attack, and so he needs to be more involved all the time. He just isn't at the moment. Yeah,
2: he's he's disappointing to a to a large extent, and he isn't getting the the stats either um, in the last couple of games. And he's just he's a he's he's a bit like Juan Mata was at some points during his United career. Just uh, you you know he's a great player, and you know he can do really just. Brilliant things and, and world class things, but for most of the game, you're sitting there just head in hands at some of the stuff he does, and you're sitting there thinking, "Is is he on the pitch?" And that's what you get a bit with the, that that kind of player, and it's just frustrating to watch. But hopefully, he can he can get back into into the groove in the coming weeks.
0: The other thing I want to just quickly add about the game on Saturday as well was the formation. I think. We saw us in the preseason use the 3-5-2 a lot, and we've used it a couple of times this season. We used it against CSKA. Um, I, I think it works really well, and I honestly think that in big games that might be the way to go because part of the reason why Lukaku struggled so much was because he was so isolated. Even when he did manage to get the ball on, under control, a lot of times there was no one within 30 yards of him. But, and so if we play 3-5-2, not only does it give us, when we're in defence, come with kind of five at the back with the three centre-backs and the two wing-backs, it allows you to have sorry, yeah, three men in midfield, uh, which is is great to have. And then also two strikers as well. So let's say if you had Lukaku and Martial or Lukaku and Rashford up front, both of them together, who can work with each other, I just think seeing it like that would be so much better. It would allow Lukaku so much more freedom because he would be able to kind of hold the ball, have someone to link up with, and then we would have a runner in behind as well without having to compromise what's going on in defence. So I think personally, if we're going to play the kind of way that Mourinho is setting us up, Three five two would be so a much more beneficial formation. We've seen that Mourinho isn't scared to use it. We obviously can play in it. CSKA Moscow is probably our arguably our best performance of the season, and we played three five two in that game. So I don't see why we can't try and do it a little bit more. And I think in big games it could be really effective.
2: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see it. And I mean the game we used it in the CSKA game was the one where the opposition were were using that that kind of formation. So Spurs, Chelsea. We've got Spurs coming up at the end of October, I think it's the twenty eighth, and Chelsea Start on November, November fifth, I think, um, and we'll we, we could well see it then because we used we Marino saw CSK using it and thought well we can we can better that, but against Chelsea and Spurs, who have who have mastered it a bit more, um, we'll see whether he goes with it, but yeah, definitely definitely an option. It was a fantastic display from Manchester United's under-18s on Saturday morning, just before the first team played Liverpool. Kieran McKenna's side beat Wolves 6-1 with Mason Greenwood, who recently turned 16, scoring his first hat-trick at this age level. Well, first competitive hat-trick, because he scored a trio on his debut in a friendly in Austria in pre-season. He's a fantastic player and showed it against Wolves, becoming the second-youngest player to score a hat-trick for the under-18s in the new under-18 league format, only beaten by Angel Gobez, who did it aged 15 and 361 days. Greenwood did it aged 16 and 13 days. The under-23s played West Ham United on Sunday afternoon at the Olympic Stadium, beaten 4-2. Demi Mitchell gave United a second-minute lead, but Martinez equalised with the first of three for him. Mitchell gave United the lead again before half-time, but Ricky Sprague's side couldn't hold on until the break, with Martinez getting his second in the third minute of added time. He made it 3-2 in the 48th minute, and West Ham extended their lead through Powell in the 65th. Some good attacking moments, but United were poor again defensively and are now bottom of Premier League too. Luke Shaw was in action, but hardly impressed watching on fans, let alone Mourinho, looking demotivated and not working hard enough, disappointingly. Roshan Williams returned from injury to play in central defence, which is very good news, and looked in decent enough form for a comeback. His great pace remains, despite the injury, which is a massive positive. In loan news, Dean Henderson started for Shrewsbury Town against Plymouth Argyle in a 1-1 draw. Sam Johnston started for Aston Villa against Wolves. Timothy Fossumentz came on as a sub for Crystal Palace in a shock 2-1 win against Champions Chelsea. Regan Poole was an unused sub for Northampton Town against AFC Wimbledon. Devontae Redmond not in action for Scunthorpe and Borthwick Jackson not playing for Leeds. Neither have had great starts to their spells at their respective clubs. Matty Willock's FCU Trex played on Saturday evening and he was an unused sub while Andreas Pereira's Valencia play Real Betis on Sunday evening, just after we're recording. In international news, Angel Gomez captained England against Iraq in the Young Lions' final World Cup group game in India. He scored the first goal and assisted another before coming off after 67 minutes. That's his first start at the World Cup, and with Jaden Sancho returning to Borussia Dortmund after the groups, who will likely start in the knockout stages as well. Right, Wednesday, uh Champions League is back. I mean it's just nice to have football back in general, but Champions League back. Uh, third game back in it's Wednesday, seven forty five. Um, another big game. You've got to be I mean, Benfica away, you can see you can see a similar performance to Anfield
0: yeah i i can i hope that we're not quite as defensive as that honestly because that would be that would be pretty um pretty annoying i think because ben, you know benfica are a decent team but i don't think they're they're near kind of the liverpool standard and we need to bounce back from what was let let's be real you know a a disappointing uh, performance against against liverpool so i hope that we do kind of come out play a little bit more open i i speaking of 352 i wouldn't be surprised to see us line up like that um so, yeah, let's hope that we can have a much more positive performance, hopefully get the win against Benfica and go, what, six points from... or nine points from nine, sorry, in the Champions League.
2: Yeah, very good start in the Champions League. Um, 3-0 against Basel, 4-1 against CSKA. Could do with something similar against Benfica, but can't... I mean, I, I couldn't see it happening at all at CSKA, so I'll be very happy if they, they prove me wrong yep. once more. Um, score prediction, though?
0: Going to go for a scrappy 1-0 win.
2: Yeah. Can can see that I'll go two one United be a bit more positive. That's all we have time for on Series Three, Episode Nine of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you to Alexander Young from the U.S. and Me Green NZ from New Zealand for giving us a couple of nice five star reviews. If you're enjoying the show, um, lend us a minute or so of your time and give us a nice little review on iTunes. It's a massive help to us, and you get a little shout out on the outro. Cheers for listening, though. Um, for more from us, follow us on at UTD Weekly Pod on Twitter. That's P-O-D at the end. Jack is at at UTD Tate. That's T-A-I-T. And my name's a bit simpler to spell, at Harry Robinson 64 on Twitter. The Old Trafford special we mentioned a couple of weeks back is happening, but not for a couple of weeks, probably during the next international break if, if things work out for us. We've got some really good guests for it. I'm excited about it. So should you be. Cheers for lending us your ears. Have a great week. Goodbye.